Longtime Devils radio play-by-play announcer Matt Loglin joined me on today's episode of Locked on Devils. We're going to talk about his career in the broadcast booth, some of his best experiences, and of course, we're going to talk some Devils hockey. There's a lot to break down in today's special episode. Buckle up, everybody. You're Locked on Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked on Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey club and play announcer, Devils writer for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential MIA member, Trey Matthews. Joining me on today's episode is a person whose voice you might hear all throughout New Jersey radio airwaves, along with Chico Resch. He has been calling the full play-by-play action for the Devils since 2006, but he's been with the organization since 1997. In addition to all that, he has also lent his voice to the New York Mets, NBA TV, and is the host of Speak of the Devils podcast. It's the great Matt Loglin. Matt, we've been talking about getting you onto my show for quite some time, and now it has finally happened. How are you doing on this fine afternoon? I'm glad it finally worked out, uh, and thanks very much for inviting me, Trey. Uh, It's an honor to be on the show. Things are good. It's been a great summer. It's been a great summer for the Devils, and it's been a great summer personally. And with just a few weeks to go before everyone reports, I'm looking forward to ending the summer on a bang and then getting after it. Yep. Uh, The season is right around the corner. We're almost done with the month of August. So once September hits, obviously, we're going to have a lot of the prospects report for the uh, tournament challenge, then preseason. Then before you know it, the Devils are hitting the sheet of ice once again, hopefully to top off their historic season. So I know you're a busy man, so let's get right into it. So where did your love of sports originate? Because similar to a lot of other announcers, you you don't just cover one sport. As previously said, you also did some work for the Mets and NBA TV. So where did the love of sports start? Well, uh, it, it started, I mean, I've loved sports ever since I can remember. My dad was a great sports fan and, you know, loved baseball and basketball and football and was a Rangers fan. Uh, there was the only, only the Rangers to cheer for when he was growing up. So at any rate, uh, I grew up in a, in a household where my dad was a great lover of sports. And I just think it got passed along to me almost by osmosis, but there wasn't a moment that I can remember that I didn't have a ball or a bat in my hand or wasn't talking sports or, reading about it or listening to it or watching it. So it's it's really been something that's been a part of my DNA. So what was the process like of getting your name out there because before ultimately being a part of the Devils broadcast team in 1997 and then later landing the play-by-play job in 2006? Sure. Well, to, to brief up the path and, you know, as you know, having just begun your path. Uh, it, it takes a lot of work and it takes opportunity and there's heartbreak and headaches along the way. But essentially, when I was at school, I went to Seton Hall University. They have a student run radio station, WSOU, at the end of my freshman year, having listened to their broadcasts because they were the only outlet for the basketball team and for the other sports teams. I thought this sounds pretty cool. There was a Note, as I tell the story, I forget whether it was in the school newspaper, The Setonian, 
or whether it was just posted in the student center. But there was a note that basically said, hey, you know, it's student run. If you're interested, stop by, which I did at the end of my freshman year. Fell in love with radio. I mean, I always listened to a lot of games, uh, always enjoyed the way the word picture was created. But at any rate, uh, fell in love with WSOU. And then from there, I just once I graduated, I decided to pursue a career in it. Back then, you could have a communications major, but I did not pursue that. I went to school thinking I'd be a a businessman, so I have a business degree. But upon graduation, I just sent out a lot of resumes, and one thing led to another. I started in a local radio station in New Brunswick, New Jersey, WCTC. I was also working at the time, uh, and it actually started when I was at Seton Hall, for a local cable company called Suburban Cablevision, the local arm of that local cable company called TV3. Uh, Bob Lee, who uh, established himself as one of the great journalists, sports journalists of our time, was the sports director there and also a Seton Hall grad. And so, uh, you know, he offered me a chance to come in and learn the ropes a little bit. And from there, I just kind of kept churning, you know, uh, as I said, worked in radio coming out of college, but a year later, I was offered an opportunity to go to this TV3. Bob had left for ESPN. Bruce Beck, who now is, you know, the main sports reporter in New York, having worked at NBC for so many years, was now the sports director. And so I just kept working on my craft. And when the time came, I sent out resumes and finally Sports Channel which morphed into Fox Sports Net, Fox Sports Net New York, and uh, now is MSG2, but or, uh, or MSG Plus, I guess. But at any rate, um, they offered me a chance to work a, on a couple of college events, and then it just kind of went from there where I fell into the Devils, first the Nets, then the Devils, did Mets for a long time, and as you mentioned, way back when I threw my hat in the ring and became the radio guy for the devil. So, yeah, it was a long road, a lot of ups and downs, great fun along the way. And now doing what I do is, is awesome. It's kind of back to my first love, really. Is it kind of surreal when you first came to the devil's organization in 1997? Because this was after they had won their first Stanley Cup. So obviously they've established themselves as a uh, Stanley Cup uh, organization. So what was the feeling like of just becoming a part of Devils organization and being a part of what was going to be a long historic few string of years? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my association with the team goes back a little further than that. Um, I was filling in for Stan Fischler, as I mentioned, Sports Channel gave me a chance. And for the most part, it was doing college athletics, college football, college lacrosse. Uh, but they also had the rights to the Nets and to the Devils. And so uh, when Stan uh, and the Islanders, so Stan was the main guy. And if the Islanders were on the main channel, the Devils would be on the secondary channel. Whatever the main channel event was, Stan did. But if the Devils moved to the secondary channel, I slid in there and started covering them in the 92-93 season. So my first memory of covering the Devils was with Herb Brooks as the coach. But to your point, when, when I was offered the full-time opportunity, which came, as you said, a few years later, uh, to be honest, at first, I wasn't happy about it because I had been covering the New Jersey Nets. 
and I had a great deal of fun with that crew. Uh, Ian Eagle, Spencer Ross, Bill Raftery, Jim Spinarkle. And I wasn't really sure. And I was still filling in doing devil stuff. I covered them in 95 in the playoffs when they won the Stanley Cup. But I was still a Nets guy. And I was told I was being moved. And, and I was curious as to why, because it kind of came out of nowhere. As much as I enjoyed my work with the Devils, it was the Nets that I thought was going to be my future. And so, uh, long story short, it just turned out the Nets would prefer to, uh, uh, the Devils rather would prefer to have me uh, as opposed to the person who was doing it. And so we switched roles. And that turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. First off, I didn't go kicking and screaming. I had been covering them for a few years and, and filling in an awful lot along the way, but I just was wondering why I got moved. Was it me? Did, did I not do something? Is this a demotion? How is this viewed? All that sort of stuff. But clearly the, the devils wanted me. Lou Lamorello was in my corner and wanted me. And, you know, it just turned out to be a blessing because, you know, after that two more championships and, two more appearances in the Stanley cup and Lou gave me a chance to be the radio guy when I wanted to move from TV. So no complaints at all, but to be honest with you at the time, you know, I was like, why, you know, why are we upsetting the apple cart? I'm having a good time doing basketball, but all that's water way under the bridge and way in the past. It's been a blessing. My association with the devils on a full-time basis for sure. Don't worry. There's still more in store with Matt Loughlin, but before we continue, I want to tell you guys about FanDuel because I want you guys to make some extra money because get ready for NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can get $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel, the app that is easy to use, so you can bet on everything from the spreads to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. It's an offer you can't refuse. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. All right, let's get back to our discussion with Matt Loughlin, the play-by-play voice for the New Jersey Devils on the radio. Take it away once again. When one door closes, 10 more open, and you're still with the organization to this present day. And now I want to transition from uh, the, getting your name out there to now being in the broadcast booth. So I had the chance to shadow Everett Fitzhugh, who is the play-by-play announcer for Seattle Kraken for their radio feed. And I saw it firsthand, the amount of preparation that goes into just one single game, one single matchup, and a lot of facts, storylines, uh, filling in for sponsors, whatever the case might be. But I want you to paint that picture. So take us into a day of the life of a radio broadcaster, what kind of preparation goes into just that one game I was talking about? Because, and I'm also curious to know, has technology made things a little easier preparing for a game compared to the pre-2010 era? Well, absolutely to answer that last question first, but, you know, you saw it firsthand and, and, you know, Everett's a great young announcer and, you know, he works hard at it, but he will be great when it's all said and done and will have a very long career because he does work at it. Um, it is work. I do chuckle a little bit because not so much lately, but maybe up until four or five years ago, I would still have people who would ask me. So like you just show up in the game and you do it right. 
And I said, no, this is not a job where you show up at 630, sit down, they drop the puck a little after seven and you walk out of the building at 10 o'clock and you're done. No, it is a full day's work. Um, I, I get up in the morning. So game day is a little different than an off day, but a game day, you know, I'm at the rink by 10 o'clock. Fans may realize that each team does get a chance to go out on the ice for a little morning skate. Uh, it's becoming less and less popular in the NHL as the whole idea is to save your energy for the game, for the performance. But nonetheless, it still is there. And so the players get out and skate for 15, 20 minutes. And it's at that point you go into the locker room, you get a chance to ask some questions, record some sound, talk to the coach figure out what's going on from his standpoint and, you know, talk a little bit about the upcoming game. The Devils uh, at home, or let's put it this way, the home team always goes first and uh, then the visiting team takes the ice and the same routine is there. So I'm usually there from 10 until mm, quarter after 12, 1230. Um, shortly thereafter, I'll spend about a half hour talking with Chico Resch, my broadcast partner, about what he thinks about the game. Uh, about what points we want to make in the pregame show. I'll tell them about the sound that I have and how it might support that point. Uh, if we don't have sound on it, we can get it later in the day uh, or maybe not. Uh, you know, we don't need a player to support a point of view. Uh, we can just discuss it as, as how we see things. And so uh, I, I'm home around one o'clock thereabouts and I stay home putting the finishing touches on a chart uh, which is a board that's, I don't know, 16 by uh, maybe 22 wide and 11 high. Anyway, uh, it contains all the information I've put together on that game. It contains information on each team. It contains information on the league. Um, there's a whole bunch of things, the schedule for that night in the NHL, upcoming schedule, so on and so forth. Points of interest that I want to get to during the course of the broadcast. I usually start working on that. Nah, I'm not going to lie and say it's a week before, but, you know, I might start doing something two days before, certainly the day before I focus on it. Um, and then I get back to the rink around four o'clock. I get to the booth. I set up, uh, go down, talk to some more to media from the other team, put some finishing notes on my chart, um, see scouts from around the league because they come in and that's the only time I really get to see them. They're not there at the morning skate, find out what their thoughts are on what's going on, what they've seen, who do they like, boy, you just saw a game. You just scouted, um, for instance, the Rangers and flyers. What do you think about the flyers? What do you think about the Rangers? What do you think about this player? Uh, so on and so forth. So you get some information that way. And then it's up to the booth and you, you go at it for about three hours when it's, done when the radio broadcast is done at home chico and i head to our tv booth uh, we simulcast the television post game show uh that's seen on our youtube channel and so usually i'm out of there going on 11 o'clock and you know home around midnight uh stay up for a little bit fall asleep and then the next day we do it all over again so it's an awful lot of work uh, an off day is much less work uh but i'm at every practice and I'm trying to get more information so that the broadcast is more informative, more entertaining uh, for the listener. So the only day I usually don't go to the rink is Sunday, uh, unless there is a game. Um, it's just a day that I usually just kind of recharge the batteries and stay home with family and what have you. So it's a six day a week job. But if it requires seven, I'm there seven for sure. Yeah. So once again, when I went behind the scenes with Everett, it just surprised me how 
uh, thick the game notes were and mm -hmm. how specific they they get. And I'm just like, you might not even get to this fact or you might not even say this during air because there's only a limited amount of time. And obviously now I get the game notes for the Devils uh, as of right now. So I, I see it all the time, how specific the stats are, the storylines, things of that nature. Well, so, and to, to the question that you asked at the end, uh, to your last question about technology, it has made it a lot easier. You know, when I first started, uh, there were game notes. Game notes were always printed by the league when I came on board. I'm not sure when they actually began being distributed, but uh, for those who don't know, and it's mostly online now, many teams refuse refuse is probably a strong word, but they don't print them. Uh, it saves money. It's better for the environment. I'm old school. I kind of like to have a copy in front of me. Uh, that being said, uh, each team produces a set of notes, information about its players and the team uh, in preparation for the game. That's always been handed out, excuse me, handed out. The, uh, the league does the same thing. Mostly it's just a, a stats package for every team and the league and power play and shorthanded and rookies and veterans and defense, breaking down forwards and defense. So that's always been available. Uh, but when you were prepping for a team, particularly a team that was reasonably out of the area, so let's say west of the Mississippi, you did a big deep dive because you had to try to find stories on them and there weren't necessarily on the web, which is why it was critical that you had sources, generally fellow broadcasters that you could rely on to help you give more depth to the coverage other than the black and white in the notes. Uh, now it's much easier to watch the games, listen to the games. Uh, I get every sports section of every paper in North America, understanding that that's a smaller and smaller field, but still uh, it's a great source of information. And there's blogs and you know, all sorts of sources now for information. So it makes it easier, but it makes it more time consuming too, because you're always digging. You're kind of going down that rabbit hole, if you will, but it's a great journey. So I don't mind making it. All right. So I got to ask you, what's it like working with uh, Chico? Can you just give us some behind the scenes action? Let's just uh, let loose a little bit more. What's <laughs> it's a blast from start to finish. Look, People who have watched him over the years or listened to him presently know who he is. He's a outgoing, gregarious, positive guy who just loves the game and loves people. And so to be with him is a joy. The one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't cover the truth with platitudes. You know, he hates when we talk about what we're going to discuss that game he puts work into his keys to the game. He hates the old, well, the devils need to stay out of the penalty box. Well, okay. That's easy. You could say that 82 times a year. You could say the devils have to score more than the other team. Yeah. Don't fall behind. Yeah. So a lot of those keys are repeated in different ways, but Chico's like, no, I'm going to do something a little different. And he usually comes up with uh, some different takes in the end. You do need to outscore the other team. We understand that. Um, but he's just a joyful person. So it's a blast to be with him. Uh, I think he comes over on the broadcast, how much fun he's having. I think uh, having the opportunity to sit next to him in our broadcast location at the rock where fans continue to stream up. We're very close, very accessible where fans stream up before uh, the game during intermissions during the game, trying to get his attention, you know, uh, 
and the reaction that he gets when they do anything with him on the scoreboard, whether it's just showing him reacting to something or whether it's the mascot race and his reaction to that or the aha video that they've cut. I mean, invariably, the ovation is loud and heartfelt. So uh, I love working with him. He's a great man, great friend. Speaking of legends, sometimes Doc Emmerich was unable to call a Devils game due to the demand of his busy schedule of calling nationally televised NHL matchups. So as a result, you were tasked to fill the role. I remember reading somewhere that former Devils TV announcer Steve Cangelosi stated that there was a great amount of pressure to fill the shoes of Emmerich due to how iconic he is within the NHL world. So I want to get your perspective. What is it like to fill in for Doc Emmerich and what was he like as a person? Well, first off, Doc is a genuine human being. You know, he, he cares, as anyone can tell, about hockey. He deeply cares about the sport and all the people in it. But he's a good human. He cares about life and he cares about people. Uh, and he's got a, a great spirituality to him. His faith is very important to him. And that comes out in very many ways. So it was a blessing for me to be able to work alongside him for many years. He taught me a lot of work about preparation, about caring, uh, about getting the pronunciation right, as mundane as that sounds, but making sure that you get it right. It's easy to ask the other team, you know, a broadcaster, how does so-and-so pronounce his name? And that guy might get it wrong. So um, you try to find out. You go and talk to the player. It's important to him. It's important to his family as they're listening or watching the game to have the identification, uh, identification correct. Uh, but that only begins to just touch the surface of what it was like to work with him, to, to work alongside a man acclaimed to be, you know, if not the best, certainly among the top three that have ever called the game was certainly an honor. I think I didn't feel the pressure, which is not to say that, in fact, there wasn't any. But for Kanji, I think, and I shouldn't speak for him, but I think he was replacing Doc. I was filling in. And I think there's a big difference there. I think the fans knew whatever they had to suffer through uh, with this younger guy learning his craft, they knew that the great one was going to be back in another game or two uh, and all would be well in the world. I also was focused on just trying to do television play by play which I had done when I was working for that local cable company, as I mentioned, but only rarely had a chance to do on a regional basis. And so I, I was cutting my teeth, uh, you know, while filling in for a legend. So I was more focused on me, I hate to say, but I think for Kanji it was different because Doc left, Kanji came on and that was it. Kanji was going to be there. However many games MSG did, you know, 80 usually because the Devils weren't that good and they only got two national broadcasts where he had the night off. So I think that there probably was more pressure that Steve faced. Uh, maybe I was just ignorant of it, but I didn't look at it so much as the pressure of replacing the great one. I was just filling in for him. I, I totally understand. So what are some of your favorite iconic calls and memories? And in addition to that, someone wants to know, what's your favorite tidbit that you've delivered? Well, it, it was unfortunately or fortunately, you know, overshadowed by Doc's great call of Adam Henrique's goal to eliminate the Rangers in 2012. But I was on the call of that. And to be a part of history, the Devils had beaten the Rangers before. But I, I think to a large extent, that put 
to rest. It still exists, I know. But for me, it put to rest the big brother, little brother thing. Listen, I know the Rangers get far more publicity and are viewed in this area by the media and even the fan base, perhaps, and and the league as, as more important. They're an original six franchise. But just to beat them in the manner in which we did uh, was just fantastic. And to be part of that call was uh, one of the great joys of my career. You know, I, I, I was there on the night that Marty, you know, set so many records. Patrick Gellias becoming the Devils' all-time leading scorer this year with Jack Hughes and his dynamism on, on the ice. Uh, the Devils coming out of nowhere, seemingly to have the best his, uh, record in team history, uh, to be on the call of all of the games of the series with the Rangers being stunned that they had fallen behind and looked as poorly as they did in the first two games of the series. And then to rally behind Akira Schmidt and just take a stranglehold on that series and shutting out the Rangers in the final game. Uh, that was a, a great joy. So I, I've had a lot, I would think, um, you know, I, I view it, Rather than an individual point, although the Henry goal was pretty cool and, and some of the highlights that I mentioned, uh, I just view it as part of a continuum, a, a great story, you know, uh, a great book. Boy, chapter one was good. I can't wait to get to chapter two. That was pretty good. Chapter three, chapter four. I don't know when the last chapter will be written, but it's all part of a great book in my mind as opposed to individual calls. So w- when you reflect on your lengthy run with the Devils, what has the journey been like so far from start to now continuing? Because I don't want to say finish. Yes. Well, thank you, because I, I hope I've got several more years in me. Uh, and it's incredible that I'll, I'm coming back for year 18. Um, it has been a real blessing. Look, I was a kid who walked into WSOU the end of his freshman year having no clue about broadcasting, no idea if that's something that would interest me, uh, other than the fact that I had listened to the great announcers of New York while growing up in the area and loved everything about athletics and the competition, and to be allowed into the arena at the highest level. Now, for many years, I covered high school athletics, and that was great. You're an important member of the community. People would tune in to this local cable station to watch their neighbors, their children, their nephews and nieces play games and and kind of relive maybe some of their glory when they played for the high school. And to be able to bring that into people's homes was very satisfying. Uh, But to be at the highest level, I mean, the NHL is the best league in the world. Previously, having worked in the NBA and having done Major League Baseball for 10 years, I, I kind of pinch myself. Um, it's It's been a true joy. I, I never tire of the task. I never complain about travel conditions. I never complain about missing family, although I love them. Uh, I never complain about what this job requires. I love every moment when Chico and I sign on. I can't wait. Uh, I don't want to lie and say that every game's the same. Some are more meaningful, obviously. And, you know, like the players, you get to the three-quarter point of the season and you're kind of like, wow, got to take a deep breath. Let's go. But I realize that every night, who's ever listening to us, they expect to be entertained and informed. They're Devils fans. For the most part, we get 
fans from the other teams or just general hockey fans. But for the most part, it's a Devils fan and they deserve my very best. And so I never forget that. I never forget that they make it all possible. And so each night is just an, an absolute uh, joy for me. I, I never tire uh, from what I do. I'm happy that I have my summers off. Don't get me wrong, but I can't wait for the next few weeks to go by and I'll jump back into it with both feet and it will be what I hope is a great year. All right, let's talk about the present time. So like we said early in the show, you've seen a lot of players come and go. You've witnessed the Stanley Cups, 1995, 2000, and 2003. How does this current Devils team compare to some of those old competitive ones? Well, time will tell. They've not won a championship yet. This group has not even gone to a conference final, let alone a Stanley Cup championship. Um, it remains to be seen who will be Hall of Famers. I think we can assume that if he continues his career arc, uh, Jack Hughes will be. We can assume that if he continues to be the dominant two-way player that he is and he's coming off a career year offensively, and if he can continue to improve in that area, that Nico Heischer has a chance at that, Jesper Bratt does, you know, Dougie Hamilton maybe. Uh, who knows what the future is for Luke Hughes. So I think the script is still to be written about this team. I do think that there's great excitement around the team for all the right reasons. I mean, the foundation is set. The players are uber talented. And it's just a matter, uh, in some cases, of just getting some breaks, right? I was watching uh, a replay on, was it MSG or NHL? It was MSG the other day of the 1995 playoff series, Devils and Flyers. And, you know, uh, the Devils win – uh, game six, I guess it was three, uh, game five, three, two, uh, Claude Lemieux's goal. And it easily could have gone the other way. Marty made some unbelievable saves. And if that doesn't turn out to be a win for the Devils, who knows if they win that series? Who knows if they come back from three games to one in 2000? So there are a lot of uh, areas where good fortune has to shine on the team. Uh, it's a different game. It's not as heavy a game. Uh, the physicality is less. The skill level is incredibly high. Uh, and so it's a little bit of a different era for sure. Uh, but I think that this Devils team as constructed because of their youth, because of their talent, has an opportunity to go down as very similar to that team, those teams from 95 to 2003 that won three Stanley Cups. And, you know, we're peopled by athletes who won multiple cups. I think that opportunity is there for this team. So I'm very excited about it. But I think they still have they still have a lot more work to do. That's for sure. They're heading in the right direction. OK, Absolutely. so my final question for you is um, what are your expectations going into next season? Because obviously Tom Fitzgerald got busy during the offseason he did what he had to do, which was retain a lot of key assets, including Jesper Bratt and Timo Meyer. He made a miraculous trade by trading away Yegor Sharangovich for Tyler Toffoli. I liked your take on Colin Miller. And you, honestly, and, and I'm speaking the truth, you really sold me on Colin Miller when I saw your take on him uh, when you were discussing it on NJD TV. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to let you know uh, about that. But uh, the offseason moves and – the players returning from last year, what are your expectations going into the new year? Yeah. And, and for people who didn't necessarily see what I was 
talking about, uh, or when I was talking about Colin Miller, look, he played with Miro Haskin for a good part of last year for Dallas. Now, when the playoffs came around, his role had changed, but I think he's going to be a terrific addition uh, to the Devils. But I'm very excited. Look, I'm very excited for what the future holds. This is an incredibly talented team, uh, young, speedy, and hungry. I think losing to Carolina last year left a bad taste in their mouth. I I don't know it would have been different had the Devils had a few more days off after that Rangers series, maybe. Uh, uh, they just weren't themselves. They gave up goals that they didn't give up. Uh, you know, this was a team that prided itself on being a good defensive team. Good score, no question. But they were among the best defensively all season long, and they had a very good series against the Rangers. So uh, I was shocked by how easily Carolina was able to advance in that series. And I think the team was left with a bad feeling about that. And I think that will fuel them. All that being said, they had the best record in team history. This is a franchise that's won three cups and gone to a total of five. I mean, this is a franchise that has had Hall of Famers and none of those teams, champions or near misses, had as many wins or as many points. So can the Devils be better? I think they can. Might it be reflected in their record? I don't know. I think no one is going to take them for granted. I think that the challenges will be great. Um, how do they handle expectations? You know, what happens when things turn sour? I mean, last year when they lost the first two games of the season, Miles Wood and Nico Heischer in particular were, were upset. Uh, you know, Miles saying, I'm sick and tired of playing on a losing team. Uh, Nico, who didn't play in that first game, you know, didn't have as much to say, but he was like, hey, it, it's time for a change. Who saw them eventually winning 13 straight games? I don't know. But when things go a little wrong, when an injury crops up, they had basically a healthy year last year. How do they handle that? Um, so there's a transition on defense. You know, Ryan Graves and 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 uh, Damon Severson are no longer a part of that core. That's almost a thousand games that they've lost in experience. And, you know, Damon had a great year as a third pair guy. I mean, he was a third pair guy. Columbus expects him to play a much higher role. It remains to be seen if he'll be able to fulfill those hopes and expectations. But they had that guy as a third pairing guy, Marino and Graves, John Marino and Ryan Graves. They blended so well. So, What's going to happen on defense? Luke Hughes has wonderful talent, but he's young. Um, Kevin Ball looks like he's an NHLer, but he, he's only played like 50 games. So what happens now with a, a younger defense? What happens now with a team that's going to be more challenged because of what they did last year? And again, how do they handle injuries if they crop up? So, I am very optimistic that in the long run, this team will be better suited in the playoffs. This team will be able, I believe, to go deeper than last year. But the road might be a little rockier but because so much went other than the first couple of games last year and the last few against Carolina. Everything went so well last year for the Devils that I don't know if you can expect that to be repeated. So Devils fans, keep hope, keep faith and be uh, obviously justifiably excited about what this year and beyond holds, but it may not be an easy path. And 
that makes it all that more enjoyable, right? I mean, it would be wonderful if they set an NHL record, exceeded what Boston did last year. Man, I'd love to be on that ride uh, and hopefully go a lot farther than Boston did last year. But if the Devils finish with 10 points less and five or six wins less, but they're a more hardened team and they're able to go deeper in the playoffs, that's an easy trade-off for sure. Absolutely. And I talked with another uh, Devils journalist about this, which is like if they win less than five to ten games, but they're still in the playoffs, it's kind of hard to top a historic season. And that's what I was asking the players during exit interviews. Like, how do you like top it? Because now expectations are going to be through the roof. It's no more discussion like who are the Devils going to draft pick one through five. It It's not that's not the conversation anymore. It's the conversation is now. How do you get to the Eastern Conference Finals? How do you get to the Stanley Cup Final? Like, uh, the narrative has changed in more ways than one. Don't know what the future holds, but Tom Fitzgerald has done an excellent job of keeping the core together, and he's brought in some other key assets. But I think the key thing for him, retain the guys, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or it, it, it worked for the Devils, so don't try to break up the band quite yet. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, a GM is constantly looking to improve his team. And I know you're not suggesting that Fitzy uh, will now rest on his laurels. I mean, he did make all those moves in the summertime. And I think he's put together a powerful team. He added uh, to a powerful team. And and he settled any questions down about Jesper Brad or, or, you know, and Meyer coming on and you know, he would have played this year, but not have had a contract. I think all those things are done. I think it makes for a comfortable situation. I don't think they'll rest on their laurels. And I don't think they'll they'll sit there and say, well, we have to be better than next year. I think Nico Heischer, as the captain, said, today's just another game. Uh, I know we want more sometimes uh, as members of the media, but I think players just look at it as, OK, this is the game. You know, they open up with back-to-back games at home. I don't think they're going to get too far ahead of themselves. They'll play that first game and then they'll get up the next day and say, okay, what's the task tonight? Um, And I think they're well suited for that. And again, like I said, should some, and I believe there will be, should there be some boulders thrown in their way just because everything compared to last year, because everything went so well, uh, let's see how they handle it. But I, I think in Nico and the other leadership group, uh, they're they're pretty good and they've got talent. Listen, give me talent any day of the week. Uh, you know, all the other things are important. Commitment and spirit and dedication and, you know, hockey IQ and, and, and battle. Uh, and that's part of talent battling in the corner. But, you know, give me talent and the devil's have it. Absolutely. So, Matt, we talked about everything. We talked about your career. We talked about devil's hockey, both past and present. Where can my audience find you at, even though I think they already know where to find you? Well, um, during the course of the year, we'll be on the Devils Hockey Network. Uh, you can find us on Sirius. You can find us on the NHL, uh, on NHL.com, on the Devils website, uh, Devils.com. And, you know, if you if you want to find us, you'll find us. Uh, I'm on social. I'm on the I'm on X, formerly Twitter, uh, at Matt Lock, M-A-T-T-L-O-U-G. I I, I don't do much on other social media platforms. I probably should. I know a lot of people have moved over to threads. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, A little more engaged on on Instagram, not sure. But uh, I'm there on X, and you'll be able to find me there. All right, everybody. When the season starts, 
crank up your radios to a high when you hear Matt and Chico on air. Matt, the pleasure is always mine, my friend. Thank you so much. Trey, I appreciate your asking me, and uh, thanks very much.